Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. Citizens, happy Wednesday. Man, we had so much fun at our Citizens Prom last week. I got to tell you, I was dying laughing. The uh, MVP of the night was definitely Mr. Michael Hodges with his chicken as a date. It was the best thing ever. I laughed so hard, but we had such a good time uh, dancing on the Zoom call and all the music. We need to do something like that again, but I'm super excited to get with everybody again today. Can you believe we are at week seven? Week seven of Philippians. It's amazing, but we are working through this book and Philippians is so good. I mean, week by week, uh, I hope you as well as I just have been eating this book in a good way. It's uh, been getting into my soul. It's good. And this passage today is one of my favorite passages. It's so good, so convicting, so much truth. But before we get into that today, I have a quick question for you. If somebody looked at your top five, maybe top 10 Instagram posts or recent posts, what would they guess about you? I asked this to a few of our citizen students this week and we had some good answers. Uh, Evelyn, Miss Evelyn Lowe said people would see that she likes music, of course. Uh, We love the music with the Lowe's and uh, she does a great job with that. Sarah, Sarah Hodges, um, she would say, uh, that her art people would say that she likes drawing. Um, uh, the one I didn't get right away is Gavin. Gavin Kaiser said that they would think that I could fly. And I was like, what? And then I clicked on Gavin's profile and I realized it's because they're all aerial shots. So well done, Gavin. You can fly. Uh, Gabrielle, much like myself, uh, said that you love your family and friends. Man, I am very similar to you. I, I looked at my Instagram lately and I was like yes a lot of my posts are about my family or my friends if you I had a friend once that uh, did an experiment where they tallied through all of their Instagram posts by categories of what was on there to see what they liked the most if you did that what would be there what would be the number one thing on your Instagram as I looked through my stories it was like food and coffee which I think this is accurate like I love good food with good people that is, uh, that is my life. Um, but what does your social media say about you? What does your social media say about you? As I was thinking through this, I thought, man, I, I don't, have you ever had that experience where you're like scrolling through someone's social media and you're like, that person really loves themselves. You know what I'm saying? Like selfies and self-promotion, this is the world that we live in. And for me to even cast a negative light on something like that is like shame on me, right? You are applauded and celebrated when you promote self. They're like, yes, you post that selfies, you do you, you're the best, you're so bright and infinite and you're amazing and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It feels like encouragement. It feels like self-esteem, but it's ironic that in a world of self-promotion where it seems like self-esteem is 
highly celebrated, we're also the most insecure people we've ever been. Right? We post and we look for likes and comments, hoping that somehow that will affirm something in us that we wish we were or that we wish that we could be or that we hope that what is seen uh, on the internet is true for our lives. And it's exhausting, right? We think it will bring us peace. We think it will bring us joy. And we find that we're actually living our lives through the eyes of other people. Not only is it exhausting, but we're then surprised in a world of this self-promotion that drama exists. You know what I'm saying? Like how much drama has been started because of something that somebody posted on the internet or something that somebody misunderstood or there's a miscommunication or something online or how many like fights have you gotten into over a digital medium? Like in a world of self-promotion, in the world of me, conflicts exist, right? Because if it's all about me, then I have a problem with you, <laughs> right? Who's me is going to win. In a world of self, is unity even possible? That's exactly what we're going to talk about today, is we're going to continue on this idea of unity that we started last week, and it really comes down to this question. Whose name is most important? Whose name is the name that we live for? Whose name should we be promoting? Whose name? Spoiler alert, it's not yours or mine. <laughs> Last week, uh, we, are, we continued in our unfinished series in Philippians. We closed out chapter one and Sam showed us from the text that we represent the gospel and we represent God and we represent the gospel of God through our unity and through our boldness. And this sends a message to the world of what kind of a God that God is and what kind of a people that God's people are and what kind of a gospel, what kind of a good news is he sharing. And this unity is so important. And we're going to look at that unity this week. And we're really going to answer the question of how, how is this made possible? How is unity even possible, not only amongst a group of people who are so different, but in a world when it's all about me? Is unity even possible? And in a world of making a name for ourselves. what Paul is going to teach us as we continue his letter that he wrote from prison to the church in Philippi is that, man, the only way to maintain this unity is not to self-promote our own name, but to really forfeit our name. That to follow Christ means that we forfeit our name. We forfeit self. And so let's look at it. We're going to get into Philippians chapter two. I hope you have your Bibles open. Um, let's get there um, and let's see what Paul has to say about how, how we unite as we represent Christ. Let's see how we do that. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to read the first five verses here. It begins like this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, 
being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul begins this by saying that we pursue humility for the sake of unity. The key ingredient of our unity is humility. And he's calling the church, he's calling Christians, he's saying, Christian, pursue humility. Fight for it, chase it down. Pursue humility for the sake of the unity of the believers. If we, Paul's saying, if we are family, we need to be united. I mean, look at all the family language that he uses here, right? He says, encouragement in Christ, comfort from love. Uh, These are, are those who find their rest and their encouragement in Christ. These are those who find that where we lack, Christ fills us up. And he gives us comfort and the love that he has for us and the love that he gives us for one another. It's that family love. He also says, if there's any participation in the spirit, citizen, if you are a Christian, that means you have the Holy Spirit living in you, which means the spirit in you is the same spirit at work in me and the same spirit at work in our other brothers and sisters in Christ that make up this church family. And we participate in that same spirit. It means like we fellowship, we partake, we are united by the same spirit that lives in each of us. This is what makes up God's family. So he says if there's encouragement, love, participation, or if there's any affection and sympathy. Um, I was really laughing this week when I looked up like the definition of these words and what they kind of meant in the original language, because it is literally a gut feeling. Like it means intestines. <laughs> like it is an affection. It is a sympathy that like, you know, you feel like when you love someone, you're like, oh, I just love you. And you can feel it deep inside. This is the kind of, of deep affectionate love that we have for one another and the family of Christ. This family is loving and it is beautiful and it is united. And so Paul says, if this is us, if we are in any way, family together in Christ, if we're united in Christ with the same spirit, if there's any love between you and I, if we share that same love of Christ, then he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. There's that unity piece to unite together in the same mind. And this is not, you have to think exactly the same because Paul in later passages and Corinthians, for example, is going to talk about how we're all gifted differently and we think and we act differently, but unity is still a major part of that. Unity is not sacrificed in our gifts. We are unified, even if we're not uniform. We don't look the same, but we're unified in the same mind, having the same love and being in full accord, being united together. So how is this unity even made possible? And we already talked about like, if this is a world of self-promotion, if the world is about me, then I and you have a problem because your me wants to be first and my me wants to be first. 
there's only one way. There's only one way that this kind of unity of the same mind, same love, thinking alike, moving together as one people, the only one way this is made possible, that is through humility. That is through humility. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. One translation literally like says, translated literally, what he's saying is don't even think any thoughts motivated by selfish ambition. Don't think any thoughts motivated by selfish ambition. To be united, we forfeit our name for one of us, one another, that we look to the interest of others. See, as he continues, what does this humility look like? It's counting others more significant than yourselves. And if you need to get even more specific on what that looks like, he says that we are not looking only to our own interest, but also to the interest of others. This is the humility that we're called to, considering others more significant than yourselves, looking to their interest and not just yours. Um, I have a very clear example for you on what this looks like. A lot of these examples honestly work out in your day-to-day life, but here's one that we can, I think we can all relate to. Yes, if you were there, winter camp 2020, this is the camp dining hall. Looks like breakfast. We have some hash browns going on here. This passage works out really well around the camp table. You can tell who is looking to their own interest or who's looking to the interest of others around the camp table. You know, you could walk in the dining hall and you've got a table of sixth grade boys that, sorry, sixth grade boys, just look like wild raccoons attacking the breakfast, right? They're like, I've got the eggs, I want the hash browns, I want this, I want that. And they're just going at it. They're eating all, like, there's only six hash browns and they're going to take all six of them. It's like, what? Like, that is that is looking to your own interest. And then you can see other tables. It might be sixth grade boys. I won't shoot you down. You can be this way too. Where you, they take an item, put one on their plate, and pass it around. I can't tell you every year. Every year, we, we teach our students how to pass food family style. It's amazing. You, you know, take an item, you pass it around. There's, you know, the person who um, goes and gets the, uh, you know, the hot chocolate or whatever and comes back down. Or there's the person that's like, hey, like, do you need anything? Like, while I'm up, can I get you something? Can I get you some water? Can I get you some hot chocolate? That's looking to someone else's interest. Um, I'll tell you the one meal that we had at camp where there was like hot queso at the salad bar. Tell you what, I definitely was looking to my interest because I wanted that queso, but I went back to the table. and I was like, guys, there's queso. <laughs> Do you need queso? I was taking burritos over there to get some queso on it. Um, you can see, like I said, at the dinner table, who's looking to whose interest, especially when it comes to the cleanup time. You know what I'm saying? There's that table where it looks like clearly nobody took anybody's dishes and it's all just hanging out there and we're like, why can't they clean up their dishes? And then there's those that are walking around like, hey, are you done with your plate? Yeah, are you done with your plate? Stacking it, taking it into the kitchen. We experience this at camp, but you experience it every single day 
in the life that you live in your very own home. This kind of humility that looks the interest of others, that counts somebody else as more significant, it is the opposite of the, oh, I just sat down mentality. You know, when you come home or you're doing something, you just sit down on the TV, you just hit play on the episode you want to watch and your mom's like, hey, you didn't do the dishes yet. Oh, mom, I just sat down. You know, that's the opposite of what Paul is saying. It's the opposite of the attitude that we are called to have. And again, a really practical way that has helped me figure out how I actually live this way, how I actually execute this, is to pay attention to the times when I think, man, I wish somebody would just do this for me. Man, I just wish somebody would help me out with this. Like I wish, I just wish somebody would take my plate to the, to the kitchen because I just don't want to walk there right now. Man, I wish that somebody would do the dishes for me. Man, I wish somebody would take out the trash from here. Man, why didn't mom or dad do this? Or why can't my sibling, you know, take care of this? I wish I didn't have to do this. And whatever that sentence is, that becomes a thing that I do for the other person. When I'm sitting at the dinner table and I think, man, I just wish somebody would take my dish to the sink because I really don't want to. I'm like, I will take their dish to the sink because that would be looking to their interest and not just my own interest. Simple, tiny, little practical things that you encounter every single day to look to the interest of another person. Man, if that, whatever that thing is, it'd be so nice for that person to do for you. It would be just as nice for us to do that thing for them. It is the best life advice I could give you to follow, whether you're, you know, going to college, you're going to have a roommate, or someday when you maybe live on your own or with another roommate, or someday when you're married. Like, this is the advice to give, is what can I do for this person? Do for them what you wish was done for you. And if we all think this way, like if we all think this way, that will be amazing, right? Like what kind of a community, what kind of a pleasant place this community would be if we all think that way? And why does Paul address it? Because naturally, we don't think that way. Naturally, we're comparing ourselves to, other, to another person. We think, man, I've done so much work this week and they haven't done any. Like, why can't they just do it? Like, I have so much more to do. Like, don't you know how much homework I have and how much I have to get accomplished? And like, they should figure this out. And like, it's their job anyway. It's not mine. That's the kind of comparativeness that we live in. And of course, the ultimate counter response to this kind of living that Paul is asking us to is to say, okay, yeah, sure, I could live that way considering the interests of the other all the time. But what if they never do? Then I'm stuck doing all the work and they don't do anything. Poof. That is exactly the mentality that Paul says, stop it. Don't even think about that. Don't even have a single thought that's motivated by selfish ambition. He says, don't even, don't even think any thoughts motivated by that. With by selfish ambition or conceit, but count others more significant than yourselves. Look to their interest. And truly, honestly, this kind of humble service 
really is contagious. Like when I'm being selfish and somebody does that for me, I think, man, I want to live that way. And when other people see you living for the interests of others, serving others, helping others, it encourages them to do the same for other people. And let's say you're right. Let's say you work so hard to look to the interest of others and that person never, ever, ever grows up, humbles themselves and serve others. They are stuck in the blindness of their arrogance and you live a life that honors God while they never see the truth. And it doesn't matter, honestly, an obedience to God doesn't matter how that other person reacts. It matters if I am obedient to what God has called me to do. In the end, you will have character that is tested and approved and solid. And that is a beautiful gift from God. So what is your motivation? What is your motivation as you interact with people in your home right now? Uh, tell you what, nothing like two months of quarantine to reveal to yourself how selfish you really are. And to remind us and giving us really clear examples of how we can grow in humility and service of one another. And truly humility like this is a miraculous divine thing from God. We don't come into it naturally. None of us naturally thinks that way. this way. It takes work and it requires divine intervention. And what we're going to see next is that is exactly what the Lord gives to us. Let's continue reading in verse chapter 6. First point, we pursue humility for the sake of unity. And now let's read chapter 6, or verse 6, excuse me. So he says this. I'm going to uh, start in verse 5, actually. He says, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Man, this is one of the coolest lines in Philippians. That though Jesus being in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he took on the form of a servant and was born in the likeness of man. This is interesting as you read your Bible you probably don't see it broke out this way, but this is actually this passage here is actually considered a hymn or a song of Paul. Uh, some Bibles actually break it out like you would a psalm in your Bibles, but this truth is so moving, it's so powerful to to Paul that it is actually a song. This this truth about Jesus being God coming down and being a man it's it's so remarkable to him that he's moved to sing about it in, in prison nonetheless remember he's writing this in chains and he's singing about what jesus has done and how amazing this is and citizens just a note for us this 
is one of the reasons why we sing. I mean, there's something about singing these truths into a melody um, that moves us, but there's also um, something about as we encounter these big truths of God that it, it moves us so much that we, we sing out loud. And it's one of the things that I miss the most as we do this whole thing digitally. And the thing that I can't wait to do again as we gather together. Um, but what really, what really is moving Paul to sing in this passage? And man, we see Jesus as an example of incredible humility. Right, Paul is encouraging us to pursue humility as we unite and then to look to Christ as our example of humility and the hope that we have in so many ways, the hope that we have personally and the hope that we have to live that kind of example. We see Christ's example in that he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, that he was in the form of God but he allowed himself to be humble, to come in human form, to be found in the likeness of men, to be born like any one of us. He was in the form of God and he became a form of a servant. Man, what? I was trying to think of something to compare this to. And um, there's, there's a really moving scene in a movie that I watched. And I'm going to do my best to convey convey it to you. But Many of you are probably like me in that uh, when it comes to like Marvel versus DC, probably sit further into the Marvel camp, especially the cinematic universe, Wonder Woman being the exception. Um, But I remember the first time that my good friends, uh, Matt and Danae, showed me the movie Man of Steel. It's a Superman movie. And um, it's actually a very thoughtful movie. Um, And there's this... In the beginning of the movie, there's this scene where you've got Clark Kent. And honestly, again, I'm not, I wasn't a big superhero person before watching this. um, But I learned from this movie that that Superman's kind of like OP. Like he's, he's amazing. Like you can't kill Superman. Kryptonite, blah, 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 whatever. But still, like he's like amazing. He's so powerful. He could do, he could, he can do anything. He's huge. Um, And he is like out trying to find himself. He's working at this bar near an oil rig and he's, you know, aproned up massive Superman and Clark Kent attire. And uh, he sees a, a man harass this lady at, at the bar. And he steps in and he tries to step in between this guy. He's like, I'm gonna, very gently he says, I'm gonna have to ask you to leave. And the guy is the worst he like gets up and he tries to push superman and he can't he like bounces off of him and then he like throws his beer on superman and he's like mocking him and like spitting at him and he's throwing his like can at him and i'm just like superman crush him like crush it like this man he's nothing like you could like dude you could just like and he's like through the wall in the other room I mean you got like laser vision like come on like and he's just Superman is allowing himself to be mocked and spit at and have his beer thrown on him and completely humiliated from a room of people and he just he takes his apron off and I'm like yes he's gonna get it and Superman puts his apron down and walks out of the room and I'm just like what (laughs) what and, and that struck 
me so much because it's, it's this passage. Like Jesus, who we learned from John's gospel, was God and he was with God in the beginning. He was there when, it, when everything was created. It was through his word that the world was created. This amazing, uh, powerful, mighty God, the giver of life and breath, who allowed himself to be mocked and killed and murdered by creatures made of dirt, creatures that he made. This one who gave us our very own strength to stand and to breathe and to live, who formed us out of the dust. Like, do you realize how humiliating it would be for the God of the universe who is infinite he has no boundaries he exists outside of time to become a man like these small little creatures made of dirt who are subject to hunger and tiredness and weariness and whose days ultimately come to an end that are not infinite and then to on top not only being humiliated of being God and being in a, a human body, but on top of that, he allowed himself to be beaten and mocked and tortured and murdered. In one word, the same word that he spoke to, to make universes and galaxies come into existence, that same word that exploded in creative power, he kept silent while he was being killed and not even for his sin but for my sin and for your sin and for the sin of the whole world instead of getting justice on his enemies he took the punishment of his enemies and he was so obedient to what God the Father had called him do, to do, that not only did he humble himself to the point of death, but death on a cross. We learn from Deuteronomy and other places that cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. This kind of death is shameful. It is the death of, of enemies. It is the death of criminals. It is the death of evil men. He allowed himself not just to be limited in human form, not just to die, but to die shamefully. The beautiful creator of all good things died in shame. And it's this humility, this grand humility that Paul then says is also yours in Christ Jesus. That if the God of the universe can humble himself, we can humble ourselves with one another. So I said that we looked at Jesus as our example and our hope, right? He's our example in that, man, if God can humble himself in Jesus to this life to this death that he died for us, man, then we too can humble ourselves before one another.
fellow creatures of the dust. And even more than that, uh, in Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, we have his divine strength to give us that kind of humility. Because again, it's not something that we do naturally. But he gives us the strength to, to humble ourselves. And it is also our hope. This story of what Jesus has done is our hope. And again, this is why Paul sings about it so passionately. Because Jesus died the death that you and I deserve. He died. He took our sins. He took that death that we were destined for since the day of our birth. But Jesus passed through death and he conquered it and he beat it and he rose to life so that we, though deserving what he had done, we gain life in him and with him and through him. It is our hope for eternity. Man, the one, the creator, the one greater than all things became the lowest of them all. And because of this, he's exalted far and high and above all names. Let's finish out the passage here. A quick review. We pursue humility for the sake of unity. We look to Christ as our example and our hope. And then let's read our closing lines here. It says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, Jesus, the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the end, we realize that we bow the knee to the only name that matters and we praise the name. We bow the knee and we praise the name. The one who humbled himself becomes the one who is highly exalted. This is a truth that we we see and we've learned in scripture is that the ones who are humble are the ones who the Lord exalts. Um, it's it's throughout the scriptures, but for, uh, an example, Proverbs 29, 23 says one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. All creation will bow to the one who bowed in death for all creation. In one sense, you could say the big story of the Bible is all about whose name will win. Right? God created uh, all things, and from the moment Adam begins naming the creatures, there is a, a, a temptation of whose name will be the greatest. When Adam and Eve uh, take from the tree, when they fall in sin, what, what they're really doing is saying, I will make a name for myself. My name will be equal with God. And then throughout the Bible, it's just a battle of names, right? Names come and go and powerful people live and die. And, and sometimes God's name is mocked and the lower G gods are lifted up high. And then sometimes God just crushes these false gods with the power of his name. And then Jesus comes in the name of God and yet was crushed to the point of death. 
yet again the one who passed through death and conquered it now bears the name the name the ultimate name of god our king the name above every other name that all power and all creation and everywhere is 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 in him right is his name every everyone will bow the knee to jesus guaranteed guaranteed we will either bow the name in praise or we will bow the name in fear of the lord there's some really uh, cool passages throughout scripture that points to this moment um a couple years ago we went to the book of malachi which is all about god's name the people who forsook god's name and how god says my name will be great and he says here towards the end of the book from the rising of the sun to its setting my name will be great among the nations we see at the end of the story in revelation that there will be one name who will be praised for eternity in the opening part of revelation we see a scene um, where there's a throne and there's a lamb sitting on the throne and people are singing to that to that lamb and here's here's what it says he says i heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth does that sound familiar it's our passage in philippians and in the sea and all that is in them everything and all creation this is what they were saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might and power forever and ever at the end of the book uh, we see another another moment of praise it says great and amazing are your deeds O lord god almighty just and true are your ways O king of the nations who will not fear O lord and glorify your name for you alone are holy all nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed Man, every, everything in all creation will glorify the Lord. In the end, there's only one name that matters. And it's not yours. <laughs> and it's not mine. And it's not whoever you follow on Instagram or TikTok. It's not whoever you look up to or try to copy. It's not who you love or adore. It won't be anyone <laughs> who looks like you and I, humans made of dust, except for the one who was God and became the form of human, Jesus. All names will be forgotten, but the name above all names will be our King, the Lamb, Jesus. And we will either bow that name in praise, bow to that name in praise, or in fear of him. And so whose name will you live for? Choose for yourself this day, as the Old Testament would say it. Whose name would you, will you live for? Will you live to promote self? Um, will you live to seek your own interest? Or will you live for the name of Christ? Whose name will you follow? Man, in a world all about making a name for ourselves, Christians are called to the radical life of forfeiting our own name to follow Christ. Will you choose to forfeit your name 
for the name above all names. To follow Christ, we forfeit self. I implore you students, follow Christ and give up the endless, exhausting game of promoting our own name. We follow Christ and forfeit self. As we close, I just want to clarify one thing as it comes to what does it mean to live humbly? What does it mean to forfeit self? Because sometimes it can sound like it means, okay, I got to leave from this moment and just super hate myself, right? Like I just got to think badly about myself and be like, no, I'm not great. You're awesome. And that's not it. Humility is, is, is something else. Humility is knowing who you are in the light of knowing who God is. To know that man, God is God. He's the name above all things. He is greater than all things. And I am a creature that he made from the dust and his breath and gets to serve him. It is, a, it is an amazing thing of who we are because we're made in the image of God. So you have value and purpose. But that purpose is to glorify the name of God. It's not about thinking hateful things about yourself, but really just thinking less about yourself, thinking about others and thinking about God ultimately more. This is what it means to forfeit ourselves, to forfeit our name, to live humbly. And so three things that Paul calls us to in this passage. He calls us to pursue humility for the sake of unity. As we come to the close uh, tonight, I encourage you to just even write some of these things out, um, some of these questions out and and ways to respond after tonight. Um, You know, is there anyone that you need to forgive? Is there anyone that you need to ask their forgiveness? Or maybe what's one small act of service you can do for somebody in your household this week? Maybe, like me, you need to pray that God would give you his affection for others. That he will fill you with his love for those around you. So we pursue humility. We look to Christ as our example and our hope. Man, one way we can do this is to just, like Paul, meditate and sing about the truth of Jesus. Ah, man, you know I'm all about it, memorizing scripture. It's not because it gives you, like, extra badges on your, like, Christian, I don't know, like, awards badges. (laughs) It's because, man, we need the truth of the Bible in our hearts and our minds. Memorize this passage. Memorize this passage this week. Um, and think and consider what the Lord has done for you and allow the grace that God has given you in Jesus to influence how you have grace on other people. So we pursue humility, we look to Christ, and lastly, we bow the knee and we praise the name of the Lord. Is there any area in your life right now that has yet to bow the knee before the Lord? Is there any aspect of your life where you would still say, my name is more important there than the name of Christ? It's a hard question to ask, and it's eye-opening. But the Lord will put his finger on that thing and ask us to, to bow before his name. 
knowing that his name is greater than any name. And let us practice eternity today by praising the Lord, praising the name of the Lord, literally singing, thanking him in prayer, praising him in prayer, um, and rejoicing in, in what he has done for us. So students, we follow Christ in this way as we forfeit self. Let's live that way this week. Let's practice it day by day. It's, uh, it's not something that just happens upon us. It's something that we practice and um, ultimately we need the help of Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that um, you care so much about us that you humiliated yourself and being in the form of God, becoming in the form of a servant and serving those around you, even to the point of death on a cross. And so God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the work that he's done. We thank you for the example that he set. We thank you for the hope that he is for our lives. And God, we pray that you would help us. Would you give us the strength to practice this kind of humility, this kind of grace, this kind of serving? God, would you help us to look to the interest of those around us? Would you build in us a Christ-like, spirit-empowered unity? Would you give us the strength to forgive, to have grace? God, would you help us to forfeit our own name? And may your name become so so much more precious and valuable and greater than anything in this life that we can pursue. For we know, God, that the name of Jesus has been highly exalted above every name. So as Philippians says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Lord, we confess now, Jesus is Lord and he is Lord of my life. So God, we, we lift you up. We lift your name above all things. And we pray that you continue to work in our hearts, that every area of our life would follow you as Lord. So God, we, we ask for the strength to do that this week. And we thank you that you are working in us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.